Hey y'all, we're back with All Your Things Are Gone. This week is Emily. Uh, it was great talking to her. She and I played in Animal Hospital together a bunch of times. Uh, just an incredibly nice and incredibly intelligent and uh, thoughtful, as well as giving uh, person. Uh, she, she, we talk about a lot about her uh, time with Girls Rock Camp and why she got into it and how it came about. But I hope you enjoy it. This is All Your Things Are Gone. You are? Yeah. Oh man, that's gonna that's gonna not be good. <laughs> it's gonna immediately be taken down. How you doing? Good. Um, I just got Do you back want a beer? from. Oh yes, I love beer. There's a uh, grapefruit and tangerine. I'm not sure if that's I'll your style. Grapefruit. Yeah. And I also have my I guess pretzels. Ooh, if you're awesome. interested. I'm interested. Thank you. You coming from work? I didn't. I came from. Well, so I'm in school briefly. I'm doing like that a certificate. Awful. It's fun though. It's good. It's like something I chose to do. It's for um, running arts nonprofits. Okay. So I'm like interested in the topic. Yeah. Um, but so I've been on walkabout and doing school part time, like remotely. So I just got back from Spain and Morocco. I saw you were in Spain. Yeah. yeah. With now, Ernie? Ernie and Deb met yeah. me in Spain and we took the ferry to Morocco. Wow. Uh, it was super fun. Where are you going to school? It's a UPenn class. Um, so you're taking it online? Yeah, and then we have convenings. So I'm about to go for the first time and meet everyone, like, in a couple of weeks. In Interesting. Yeah. How does that work? I've never taken an online course. Yeah. It? It's pretty good. I mean, it's video lectures, which is fine. And then there's, like, a lot of online discussion and that kind of thing. And and they have you write papers. It's pretty, it's kind of a case study model, which is like the Harvard Business School does with their MBA program, I think. Okay. But it's about like arts nonprofits, so I care. I'm not like a, this fucking <laughs> thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Like they're like, there was this, um, you know, like in Austin, all these arts organizations wanted to get together and build a new space and like it went terribly and like other people on the board had a heart attack and what would you have done differently <laughs> so it's what went wrong challenging um one of the things they did was they did not build out their own capacity as a planning team they kind of assumed like if they had just like people from each of the organizations and then they just like put their ideas together and fundraise like it would be enough and it wasn't and people like competing agendas and they had no like decision making process or so, so there um, is a, a, a theory and or a plan when you're doing this sort of yeah, like or, we're, or, I'm learning all these like frameworks for applying to, mm -hmm. um, so you, they, they ask us to learn things like, you know, how is this, how could you get this project in alignment with like both what their mission is, their values, but also what their capacity is. And what's the third thing? They, but there's a lot of things like <laughs> yeah. that where it's, yeah. <laughs> how does it? I mean, do you guys talk a lot about, like, business models and stuff like that? How yes, does it compare yeah, there's to, like, a lot of abstraction of um, ideas, and they, like, admit that that is always going to be, like, an oversimplification. Mm -hmm. But you can do things like um, say, like, well, this is what we want our impact to be at the end, and these are, like, the, these are the nuts and bolts and, like, kind of build stages into that. Like, we have this many volunteers and this many staff members, and we have, you know do this amount of stuff and you sort of go and get more specific but also longer term so if you're trying to achieve something like we're trying to really change the way you know like people think about architecture and public life or we're trying to you know educate kids to 
um, you know, play jazz or something. Like you have your mission. Don't play jazz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they did it in my high school. But. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Is, that, is there an end goal to, your, to the, taking the course? I mean, is... I'm interested in starting an arts nonprofit. I think at some point, like well, I've always been involved with Girls Rock Campaign Boston. Yeah, which I definitely want to talk about. Yeah, sure. and so this is kind of um, helpful for both, you know, bringing back to that organization, like as we do things like strategic planning. Um, but it's also I have been thinking about. Um, I have like a couple there's some land in my family that is kind of like unstructured there's like a hundred acres like in the middle of nowhere it's in the Taconics like it's in outside Western Mass so it's like not too far from the Berkshires um but it's just kind of intriguing that that exists and like could we try to do something and my brother's also he's a musician and we know a lot of people who are artists and musicians not that that's enough to like (laughs) you know oh musicians are definitely always organized yeah yeah (laughs) as with all other art forms and artists that's all we talk about in this podcast was being organized yeah (laughs) I'm like back and forth about being organized like I definitely have the capacity to be completely disorganized but because that's true I like try to yeah I assume if you're doing this you have to be somewhat organized yeah. you, I, I don't know you that well but you've always seemed to be yeah I definitely I think I've developed a lot of like external structure to kind of help make sense of chaos so like yeah like when I um, started up the latest thing I've done just as a side project is this Twin Peaks cover band. Word. It's really fun. It's all women. It's all like, it's a, with a jazz guitarist I met through Girls Rock Camp. We taught guitar together. And her, um, she's in a duo with a sax player. And then we asked the dr- drummer from the Shags reunion to join us. Really? To other people. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's really What's fun. What's it called? We're called Julie Cruz Director. Sure, sure. <laughs> Um, but oh yeah to do it like I made a list and a spreadsheet and everything and then I like revealed it to the people who I asked everyone asked me the band was instantly like yes I want to do it mm-hmm. but I showed it to them and they were all like oh like this what is, is like the system and shit. I'm like oh yeah I guess I make a spreadsheet about everything <laughs> which is maybe a little bit ridiculous but so I like yeah the information I'm getting out of the grad program it's like yeah it just gives you more tools to be like how can I make a sensible decision, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm trying to make a go of something, especially, you know, especially if it's like, I don't think there's any arts organization that's has too much money or doesn't know what to do. You know, like <laughs> it's always kind of a struggle. People are always kind of doing this labor of love. And of course, um, you're always trying to like make, yeah, a dollar out of 50 cents. So, so are you from that area where you said your, your family has land? Um, I'm pretty much native to here in Boston, although, like, my, well, my parents got divorced, so I sort of had, like, um, one foot in. My dad lived in Brooklyn, and my mom lived in Cambridge. Oh, sweet. Um, and I went to college in New York, like, in state at one of the SUNYs. Oh, yeah? Because cool. my dad living there. Um, but, yeah, I would say this is my home. And I even, like, lived in New York City briefly after college, but I always really wanted to come back to Boston. I just, like, took my mom a long time to get here. Like, she intended to move here. Like, when she went to college, she went to Wellesley, and then she was like, oh, that is not actually in Boston at all. So, so yeah. yeah. Was, was she from here? Where was she from? She was originally, she was from New Jersey. Her parents picked her up and moved her to 
near this area, mm-hmm. like out in the Berkshires, which she found to be very rural and not as like socially exciting. And she went to like an all girls prep school instead of like public school. And yeah. she was like bummed out about that. So, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, like my dad got a job in Boston but he wanted to live in the suburbs. Like, they moved to Salem briefly, and she was like, I do not. That's not oh, what this is not, not Cambridge either. <laughs> so, when she got here, I was like, I feel like, yeah, some obligation to, like, um, yeah, <laughs> stay here. But I genuinely like it. Like, everywhere else I've ever lived, I'm like, I sort of miss mostly the cultural institutions in Boston, like the art house movie theaters and the... Um, yeah. I mean, I, I love parts of Boston. Mm-hmm. I just... I think yeah. I, like... Unfortunately, maybe, maybe unfortunately, unfortunately, like your dad, <laughs> I was like, yeah. I want to. I, at some point, I decided I, I needed to leave. Yeah, it's super crazy expensive to live here, certainly, um, and it's getting like a lot worse lately. And that said, I mean, I moved to within what within living in Boston is considered the burbs. I moved to like West Medford from Somerville. <laughs> yeah. People are like, where's that? And I'm like, <laughs> I, we literally moved two miles from where yeah. I used to live. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, are you, what's the question here? Fuck, sorry. Um, with this girl's rock thing, did, when did this start? So it's been, we're coming up on our 10 year anniversary, which is, which is extremely crazy. exciting. I didn't I know. know it was going on that long. It did not feel that long. I mean, maybe that's just like the aging process or something that you perceive time differently, but like, it's hard to believe we got here. But the thing that makes it the most like obvious and visual that it's true is that the kids who were like eight the first year are now 18. Like they're now old enough to be like returning adult volunteers. And are they like musicians now are they yeah yeah yeah. um one so one of the young women that i started i coached her band i think when she was nine but she started at the camp when she was Mm -hmm. eight and she actually wrote her college entry essays or no it was her high school entry essays about um like this had such a profound effect on my life girls rock camp that i want to i'm going to keep going and then i'm going to become an intern and then i want to become like a volunteer and then a staff member and then I'd love to be like director someday and I just we, we thought that was incredibly sweet but she um, went to like a very artsy high school um, that is actually near all my family stuff this is very strange this is a total coincidence but um, she went to this arts high school my great grandmother founded like mm-hmm. that I hardly know any, wow. it's tiny I hardly know anyone who's ever gone to it but she and her sister went and they both artist now and she's also still playing music so um, are you is there a lot of your family in education or uh yeah i guess that's actually true my father's mother was a new york public school teacher mm-hmm. um and my mom was a french teacher for a while and yeah does it come naturally to you um i think it does it's interesting like i always thought I would want to be a teacher or a music teacher, but I was very reticent to start. Like when I started teaching at rock camp, not only had I never taught kids before, but I also like, yeah, I hadn't taught hardly at all. And because we were just trying to like stick it together, however we could the first year, I ended up teaching keys, even though guitar is my primary instrument. And I took piano lessons when I was like 10, but I was like, this is not my comfort zone at all. Like I'm teaching, (laughs) I don't know anything about children. I don't know anything about keys, at least in like a rock context. Um, But uh, that said, like I, yeah, I really like teaching. It's really rewarding. 
Um, I always thought it would be a problem. I'm not always the most patient person, and I thought it'd be frustrating, like, you know, if someone didn't get it, but it's actually really rewarding to, like, work through hard problems with kids. And sometimes the kids who are, like, the biggest pains in the ass, unless I shouldn't say that, because, like... (laughs) But, you know, sometimes the kids who, like, need the most help, it's the least obvious that they're benefiting from it. There's some Mm -hmm. kids who are just, like, you know maybe they really don't like talking they feel very uncomfortable they don't want to play solo they don't want to be like try something in front of other kids you wonder like do they just hate this to like yeah how do they i mean how did they get involved how do do yeah i mean so they have to apply with um i I don't know if it's required that it be a video essay or but they have to do their own application Mm -hmm. um just because we want to make sure like usually a lot of kids have parents who think it's cool and like you know sometimes they want this even more than for (laughs) for (laughs) For their kids but like make sure the kids do something in their own words they just they do want to do it Mm. um and it's it's yeah pretty popular like I know we've put a ton of thought into yeah just trying to make the application process really fair because it always this is the real deal yeah you guys are running it and what when it started was that always the intention yes I think so yeah my so um the people most responsible for starting were my bandmate Hilke and Mancini and then Nora Allen Wiles who was they met at the Portland Girls Rock Camp Mm -hmm. um and it just turned out that Nora was from Somerville, even though she was like living out there on the West coast, volunteering at the Portland one. And Hilkin was just flying there just to teach punk rock aerobics to the kids. Um, Cause she, that was her, that's how I met her as a bandmate actually. Like I ended up doing the website for punk rock aerobics and like, cool. um, that was how we first became musically acquainted. But so that, that got her a toehold into this. We're like, this is the perfect thing for the kids to do in the morning, get like burn off some energy, Mm -hmm. like feel good for the day, not just feel like nervous or, you know, it definitely helps to, there's a lot of stuff with teaching rock camp about like, uh, I don't say this, but like just being present and like being like comfortable in your own skin and like, yeah a lot of it is about putting people at ease like it's not necessarily a very small part of what we teach is um you know this is how you play scales or this yeah. you know i mean we teach the names of the notes and we try to teach kids chords so they have a common vocabulary but the most important thing is like we're trying to teach you like really quickly you can get to expressing yourself and collaborating with other musicians and you don't have to like get bogged down in these details Mm. the most important thing Mm. is to get over the inhibition of like trying something new and not being afraid of failing and knowing here's some other people support you and you're going to support them back and um, interesting so it's less more less about the music more about the bonding and confidence yeah i would say the music's like a vehicle for the yeah like teaching courage teaching yeah confidence um and also making them yeah like feel like they have something to say and people will listen to them and you know especially I think for girls um you're often encouraged not to be loud or not to you know to apologize for taking up space to try to make yourself small and so there's a lot of um fighting that but yeah so um back to the origin story just to the rock cam no no (laughs) it's a good point but it's yeah we've been doing it so long there's like lots of tangents my mind can go down but um Hilkin and Nora met came back to Boston and 
all of Hilkin's friends and a lot of other people who've done rock camps in other cities, including me, we, so I had just known people who did the New York one and I'd gone and seen the kids do it. And I was like, how, how does this happen? Like a friend of mine coached, uh, eight year olds who were in a heavy metal band called Hellish Relish. And I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like, and they were just so like tough, but they're tiny, you know, like (laughs) tiny children. So anyway, um, it was very bootstrapped. It was like her kitchen and all of us on our laptops or like, you know, drawing on big pieces of construction paper. And, um, a lot of things were like, yeah, as DIYs they could be, mm. there were some really funny moments during startup. Like there's one time when the way that the girls form bands at rock camp is, um, we put up genres on the wall and it asked the kids to gravitate to different ones, like experiment with, and it, you know, in some cases, like, a lot of the bands will end up being, like, some kind of, like, punkish garage rock just because, like, how many chords can you learn in the <laughs> one yeah. we have to teach them? But that said, like, it's a way of just, like, talking about music and talking about what you like. But so she was like, why don't you guys draw some, write some music genres? And so we're on the floor, we're, like, scribbling. She comes back in the room and everyone has written, like, screamo, industrial, <laughs> and she's really? like... I'm, she was like, this is for, like, eight-year-old kids. Or, I mean, camp is from um, eight to 16. But yeah. she was like, the, she was like, I meant, like, pop and rock and, like, hip-hop. Not, like... <laughs> not specific. Power violence. Like, not... Yeah, but everyone's like, oh, I thought I was, like... <laughs> I was being so yeah. inventive. Yeah. But that said, the way the kids gravitate, it almost doesn't matter, like, what genre they are inspired by. You know, like, it's... Uh, it's going to come out, you know, based on everybody's, like, musical personality that they'll get to know mm-hmm. over the course of the week. Um, and it's really very fun to watch it happen. Like, partially because the kids are just, they are actually weirdly more brave than adults sometimes. Like, they make sure. real weird, yeah. like, outsider art rock, you know, with, like, <laughs> like curling screams and, like, tempo changes or entire genre changes in the middle of a song. Great. Or, yeah. They'd be like, you know... Everyone switch instruments, and now, <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's one of the things I like watching, and it feels really inspiring, is, like, just sometimes the kids are totally fearless, like. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So, you said 10 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, has it, how much has it changed? Like, how many people do you have doing it? It's grown, oh, God, we have, like, hundreds of volunteers. Um, Crazy. A lot, a lot of pe- Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, just because different people... You know, it's not necessarily the same people at every session. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, each session there'll be, like, five or six guitar teachers, that many drum teachers, you know. Yeah. And so we do two summer sessions that are week each in the summer. And then we do a ladies' rock camp with adults that's a fundraiser for the kids. And that's actually super fun. Like, at first I wasn't sure what to think about it. Like, how (laughs) is this going to go? But... It's actually the more we teach, we act like everyone is kids, the more everyone likes it and feels like free to be creative. But um, we also do some um, in-school programming, like we do a um, beats program in um, public schools. Oh, yeah. It's like a partnership Crazy. with them as an after-school program, um, and that one is more oriented towards like beats and loops and uh, making a music video. Um, how do you get yeah. these people on board with you? Like, do you just, do you know them? I mean, do you put out ads to find... Well, so, you mean in terms of students or yeah, volunteers? No, well, I guess both, but, I mean, or in partners, particular, yeah. you, like, your guitar player. Yeah. I mean, there's a 
ton of us who are like there's so there's an entire board because it's a nonprofit. So there's there's people on the board. We have um, four staff members, two mostly full time, two part time, and then there's like a leadership team that I'm on. That's you know people who've been there since the beginning who you know have roles to either like yeah like do all the design stuff that mm-hmm. was my role for a very long time or you know work specifically on operations and like the computer side of stuff um and then we have a ton of year-round volunteers so there's people who are you know like i will do at least for a full year like all the merch i'll do all that you know cool we we have our own you know fanny packs and like beanies <laughs> and <laughs> and uh yeah various merge things so there's an army of people um but we also yeah strategically reach out to other organizations and you know try to do partnerships like we it's not always easy to do just because like you you know an event needs to be aligned with like both organizations needs you know it has to make sense for everyone but um i think it's been really successful and rewarding working with schools i mean do you get a broad range of people coming you know like Mm -hmm. kids Mm. Yeah, like geographically, demographically, um, we cer- we certainly like. There's always some surprisingly some kids from like other countries really? <laughs> from time to time, but it's mostly people from you know. Um, sometimes people are kind of like traveling to stay with an aunt or something, like coming from further out in New England. Yeah. Um, and but a lot of the people who come are just from like different neighborhoods or suburbs of Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, one one thing that's actually tricky is you know sometimes people are like, I want like a girls band to play at a different event. Like, can they all play? But they'll be like, well, one of us is in Newton and another <laughs> is in like yeah, um, Tewksbury or something. So sometimes it's hard to yeah get the kids back together again because they come from all over. Um, but we yeah we do work to make sure that like the demographic of Rock Camp is representative of Boston like yeah. is as diverse as Boston awesome and yeah now did did you have you been formally like educated musically like did you go you, you say you took piano lessons yeah I took piano lessons I actually so I was I did classical violin for a really long time all the way up to and including so you college, know your theory and shit college sort of yeah I mean I, I never took composing or conducting or yeah but I um take conducting Oof. I, I don't know yeah <laughs> I didn't you know I didn't go to conservatory or sure, anything sure. but like I did private lessons and I was in like a touring orchestra and oh, I was okay. like concert master of my high school orchestra and stuff and actually I thought the ship had completely sailed for me to play guitar like as I as I got a little older I started feeling like I wish I played an instrument that I could sometimes play in a more casual context Mm -hmm. and so in a somewhat misguided way at one point I was like I'll take up the flute you can just like walk around and play it (laughs) and I think you're a minstrel suddenly (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking and um, oh what got me rid of my flute career like I learned well enough to like be in the van and I did played my first football game like on a freezing cold day (laughs) you're like screw this shit and also our like high school uh, football team was so bad I saw them like make a touchdown on themselves they ran the wrong way and I was like okay I quit it's not for me but but I you know as I went through college I was like a college radio DJ 
Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. So where'd you go to college? What, what I went to station. Uh, SUNY Binghamton. Oh, right, WHRW yeah. is one of the like few freeform stations in the country, kind of like FMU, uh, where like it's very mixed genre that, and there's like, it's really encouraged to do like spoken word or like mashup of different sound. Cool. Um, so that was really fun, and Wait, I got, how did you get into college radio? I mean, I've been doing. Yeah. We, we've been doing a lot of the last two episodes that I've done. Well, last yeah. Were specifically college radio. So, oh, that's I mean, so if cool. You wanna, if you want to talk about that, yeah. That's... Oh, I love it, and that's probably one of the reasons I did become like a rock musician. Do you think that's the, that was the major? That influence? was a lot of it, just because. I mean, I I had like super band obsessions coming into college. Like I was really really into throwing muses and the Breeders, awesome. partially because they were from Boston and that there were like women in those bands. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god, I'm totally into this. But college radio took me to a place where I was just always like we had um funny genres at the radio station there was one called like just question mark like there was like red nines were pop music and blue eights were more like alternative indie but like question mark was like a pretty meaningful section so like it was just so there was no like rotation like it wasn't like a normal it wasn't required like there were we did have music directors and it was during the 90s when like um, like college radio was, was actually important to the record companies because of like Nirvana, they were like looking for more of that. Yep. So they're always trying CMJ to CMJ and post Yeah, exactly, shit. exactly. One of my bandmates, um, when I eventually, so I formed a band with people I knew from college radio. Okay. Um, but in Boston, like mm-hmm. I convinced a lot of them to move here. But <laughs> one of my bandmates, in like possibly the greatest prank of all time, that he we can't find this in print, but it was so he. Uh, in the CMJ charts where you say like these were the top 10 things we played he managed to spell CMJ sucks with the first letter of every band like and they printed it in CMGA and I was like oh my god awesome. <laughs> amazing that's a prank but but it was like a weird time because I was classical music director but I had friends who were pop music director and they would literally be offered like speed out of a briefcase by record weasels who'd be like really? can you chart this wow. band or you know and like I we, really thought the day, those days would have gone like yeah. the 80s like WK yeah, I think it didn't last for that much longer. Like, I think yeah. the '90s, like believing that alternative rock would be like a cash cow, ended <laughs> the next at some point. Of yeah, music. Like, yeah, I think that ended like even before the end of my college career. But just to see it happen, I was like, "This is so weird." Nobody's trying to bribe me to like, you know, play more Shastika. <laughs> just looking at really like, thing. Yeah. She's, yeah, she she won't fall. Yeah, <laughs> she's too smart. Too smart for that shit. But uh, no, I mean, I think all of us were. Everyone was just like, "This is really weird," and especially because we were at a radio station that was very, um, you know, it just had a spirit of being freeform and being like, "We do whatever we want." And that was one thing I liked about my college in general was it was it had been like a hotbed of SDS, like super left wing, like political organizing at some point, sixties, seventies. And, but the legacy it left was that all of the businesses on campus and off campus were run by students and kind of in a, like, no adults. There wasn't, like, a faculty advisor. So, like, the bus system that went all over town to, like, bring off campus people, that was all student-run, student drivers. The, like, food, you know. So, anyway, that, that was part of the context of the radio station. Like, we, you know, so I was on the board of the radio station, and it was just, like, we have free reign to like kind of decide whatever we want. And, you know, we had like, a adults as like the engineer who fixed the antenna sure. when it would yeah. like follow over or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but they, even, even on our stations I worked with, there was always somebody 
overseeing. Mm -hmm. you know, the students were never in control. Yeah. MF, like uh, MFO and BRU, not BRU, uh, shit, DJM, which is Framingham State. Oh. <clears throat> um, awesome. How long did you do your – have you done radio after you went out of I college? I did. I did. I did it at um, Tufts. At, oh, um, you did at MFO? Yeah, cool. MFO. Um, for a long time, I I did, like, a rotation on both. Um, something about the women, which is um, – You probably were there Barrett's, at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Like, probably – late 90s I was doing that okay, so yeah, it's no, in early 80s yeah um and and then I did a rotation on um on the town with Mikey D too for a long time like interviewing bands and, oh yeah um awesome. yeah that was really fun and that was another thing that got me like interested in the Boston rock scene so yeah all of that happened all of my like being a radio DJ and then even being one as an adult happened before I started really playing guitar or trying to be in a band it's crazy like, that, yeah. that you got on the guitar so late <laughs> yeah um, and I think some of it was my classical training like I was like well I would have had to have started when I was like seven or I should have but you have already yet. have all the theory <laughs> already right yeah in a way though i found the theory like a little bit uh flattening of my like sure. creativity or something like i and i felt very uptight about especially improv or mm -hmm. playing something i didn't know in it's front of music. other people you don't have improv. yeah but like well i mentioned that my high school had jazz like we had a really great orchestra conductor was also like a you know professional jazz musician and he brought like Wynton Marcellus in to meet us. Holy shit! And which was amazing. Hot damn! And I ended up in a situation where he's like, "Go ahead, improvise a violin." I was like, <laughs> "I do not want to do that." <laughs> like I felt so uncomfortable right now. Um, and I think that is part of why I really like teaching rock camp, like including to the adults when we do the ladies rock camp too. Like it's a lot of people have that feeling. Like Anxiety. I just don't want to be crappy at something like yeah. i want to be competent you know if not perfect <laughs> and, every, yeah. and especially yeah classical music is really driven that way like you are oh, trained sure. to like yeah not make any mistakes and it's so it's hard to get over that for you yeah i mean there's just a lot of um you know situations that are very stressful like especially if you're a kid like auditions where you would be on a stage by yourself and you're like a tiny person and there's like a row of judges you know this there's, huge auditorium there's like a jury empty yeah. chairs and they're like do it again or alright that's that'll do like in the middle of what you're playing and you're like ugh, ugh. <laughs> so yeah sometimes I would literally throw up before auditions <laughs> <laughs> um and I think that actually now is kind of a strength in, in teaching music mm -hmm. because yeah I can more than empathize when people say like I just feel like I'm going to die. I don't want to go out there. I feel nervous. Something bad's going to happen. Um, and it took me a really long time to get past that. Like I started playing guitar. I really liked it. Like I was like, my first show was, um, there was this comic circus in, uh, I can't remember if it was Somerville or Cambridge. I think it was the Cambridge comic circus. And, um, a lot of my friends were comic book artists and we were trying to think of something we could do that would be entertaining, because comics themselves aren't, you know, like, we didn't want anyone to, uh, it was thrown by, like, Millionaire Picnic and a couple of friends of mine who did High Water Books, which is, like, a comic book publishing company. 
And I think the default thing people wanted to do was like read their comic off a like projector and like oh, show sounds, one panel at a time, which is riveting. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, not that, but so um, as like sort of tangentially in this scene, we're like, oh, we'll try to make fun things happen, like DJ and do like crazy skits. And one of the things we did was cover um, James Kachalka Superstar. I don't know if you know yep. that band. Yeah, because he was a comic book artist. You know other bands he's been in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and Brad Searles, you might know. Who does, I do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Who's awesome was the drummer for that band, which I didn't know at the time. But I didn't know that either. Oh. No. Um, no. We're just like, oh, everyone will know those songs if it's like a comic scene. We'll we'll do a funny like instrumental, overly serious cover of it. And somehow we're like, it would be really funny if we all play instruments that we're not good at. Like everyone like gets out there clear enough. They haven't played in a long time. And I was like, oh, I'll play guitar. <laughs> I'm not good at guitar. And we got to the comic circus, and James Kachalka was there, and we're like, oh, I feel like we should tell you that we're going to murder your song. Like, <laughs> you should feel free to sing if you want. And he was like, oh, I would love to, like, he will never turn down the opportunity yeah. to, like, be in the spotlight. And so, like, the first note, he's standing in front of the audience, and he, like, takes off all his clothes. There's, like, full Whoa. frontal nudity. <laughs> And I think there was a pinata that was, like, planned for something later in the set and, like, immediately got, like, he hit it with, like, the microphone stand and, like, candy rain <laughs> everywhere. And, like, and I was like, oh, my God, being in a band is kind of great. It does sound very Yeah, it was very entertaining. <laughs> and then, like, after that, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to be in a band. Like, I, this, this seems yeah. fun. I want to do it. So um, did you ever take lessons for guitar, or you just kind of figured it out? No, I took one lesson later in life, which was with Roger Miller from Mission of Burma. Oh, I'm shit. I'm a huge fan of. When I first, How'd that come about? Well, why'd, you, why'd you do that? When I first moved to Boston, I was, like, in a bus stop, and I saw a flyer. It was, like, Roger Miller guitar lessons. I was like, holy shit, that's so amazing. And I, like, took one, and then it was like, I felt awkward. I don't actually play guitar. I don't know. I can't afford <laughs> lessons. Like I'm like 22 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so I never did it. And then I was like, well, that ship has sailed. Like who knows where he is now? So like, crazy yeah. that he'd be offering to do lessons. Mm-hmm. So insane. So like that, all this time passed. And then I can't remember how I was in his orbit enough to know this was happening, but he offered less. Maybe I'd met him through doing something with, like, I don't know, the Somerville Arts Council. I used to book a lot of, like, shows for them. Mm-hmm. There was some way that, like, I was, you know, social media friends with him. He's like, I'm doing lessons again. And this was after I'd been in a band for at least 10 years. And I was like, <laughs> I need help learning to improvise. <laughs> really? <laughs> because I'm still bad at it. Like, I love to write songs, Sorry. but I do not love to, like, write them in front of other people. I think most, you know, whatever you want to call it, indie rock whatever whatever it is yeah our era of whatever it is yeah are not great at improvising yeah that's... I mean even Kevin if you think about it doesn't improvise really right right like you know. he yeah I'm sure he writes things but not and he definitely has like in a, a show yeah you know we saw firsthand that he obviously has an idea of way where it goes and what it does yeah so yeah that's true well I also think I don't know if you read that book I'm trying to think what it's called about guitarists it was like guitarists on guitarists, I think, or it was just focusing on like a narrow slice of like alternative guitarists. It's mm-hmm. a really good book. But um, in the introduction, someone said like one of the things is like how anti blues it is. Like it's just. It, oh, it certainly yeah. is. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, like scales. What are fucking right. scales? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like just anything that is that kind of noodling becomes suspect, oh, you know? For sure. And yeah. 
the the scales themselves, like just the sound of the third or mm -hmm. bending a certain way, like it became really hackneyed and people were like, I w would like to sound different. I want to sound like stabbing or I don't Absolutely. know, a typewriter or not, just not a, like Eric Clapton at all. <laughs> that was definitely a, I don't know, mentality, especially like in the 90s, mm -hmm. late 90s. It was like, you don't solo. Yeah. There's no solos anymore. Yeah. You know, you just play riffs. You play play like a basically a pop song. Yeah. More or less. That reminds me. Have you seen some kind of monster? The uh, Metallica. I have never seen that. Movie. Oh, it is. <laughs> I've heard so it's insane. That you see it. It is so good. I. This is not really a spoiler because it's kind of a minor thing that happens, but it really stuck with me. Like Kurt, the guitarist, yeah. is like. At one point, they're like, solos are over. There'll be no solos on this album. And Kurt was like, but, like, I really like playing solos, so maybe I could just play a solo. And they were like, no, dude, it's over. No solos. And he was like, but solos are kind of my thing. And I like, and, like, he's so, like, he's the one person in the band who's not an asshole. And, like, he can, like, can hardly get a word in edgewise. And they're like, Kurt, no solos. And he's like, well... I mean, maybe it'll sound dated to now if it doesn't have a solo. Have we thought about that? And they're like, it's not happening. Which is so insane. I mean, it's yeah. Metallica. Yeah. yeah. It should have a solo. It should have a That's, solo. I mean, you yeah. are that you are band. Totally That's wrong. fine. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> they're completely Well, Pavement that, that was the doesn't have a solo. Of their problems as a band, which you'll find out. I've heard that it was so, that yeah. the the. Uh, Psycho, you know, the psychological part the, of it is the dynamics are crazy. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, I mean, can you imagine being in a band like that? I cannot. No, no. Then there's so many weird things that happen. I don't want to tell you every detail. Sorry, go ahead. Dave Mustaine shows up and like really upset. He's like, "Do you know how it feels to be in like the third most popular hard rock band instead of the first? It's terrible." Like, and he's like almost <laughs> weeping, and you're like. But he tried out for Metallica, right? No, he was in, and he they was got rid of him, I yeah, think. Right. So, and so they were like, had him in while they were having band therapy anyway, or maybe he just coincidentally dropped by, but immediately it got Still real, pals. like, upsetting. Oh, dude, yeah. Dave's coming by. Oh, yeah. shit, really? Again? And then he was like, my feelings are so hurt, and now I have to live forever with being in only Jesus. the third most popular hard That is band. a lot to fucking hole in your shoulders. Yeah. yeah. And he, uh, he got into an accident. Not too long ago, or like maybe like maybe it's long ago. Now. I didn't realize like, that. Oh, it was oh, like no. five or six years ago now. I think. Ooh, yeah. Like totally effed up his hands. Oh shit. They said they're like you'll never play guitar again, and he's uh, playing guitar again. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that's scary. Yeah. But oh, I forget how I got to. Sorry. I don't know. So it was funny, into though. some kind of monster that I forgot what I was saying about. Uh, solos. <laughs> oh, improv. Yeah. Improv. So it, you were gonna go. Uh, you took this lesson. With, yeah. Oh, and it was really helpful. Like, we did a bunch of Indian ragas, like, as a way to... And I was like, oh, I can totally do that. It was really helpful. Like, I was like, this has set me on a course where I feel a little more at ease. Mm -hmm. Well, and now I do this thing. I mean, we're almost, like, too improvisational because we've, like, never had a show or record yet, which hopefully we'll do someday. But Ernie, Kim, and I are in a band. You mentioned it um, in his episode. Oh, he did? Yeah. Cool. I'll have to listen to that. He mentioned it at the end. He's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah, I'm doing something with Emily. I'm like... Well, what is it? It yeah. was like we were literally—it was like literally like two minutes left. And yeah. like, he's like, I don't know. Yeah, you know, Ernie. It's, yeah, it's called harsh boxing, <laughs> and um, but a lot of it is like experimenting with like a lot of guitar loops and a lot of like 
a lot of improv. Like for me, like I, yeah, mostly rhythm guitar player, but I am trying a lot more to sort of push myself out of that box. I'm, and, a, I'm in the yeah. same boat. Like yeah. I, I've never really had any. I mean, I took lessons when I was a kid mm. for bass. Oh, but cool. I've never really. I never really. I mean, I know some scales, but yeah. very rudimentary. I, I, I'm, I'm that you're that typical indie rock guitar player. From yeah, bands, you know, and, uh, I've gotten better. Yeah, but yeah. For, improvising like I'm, mm. the band I'm in right now they were they were like can you play a solo I'm like Ooh, yeah you know me <laughs> yeah. have, you, have we never been in a band together yeah so that, I mean when, when you get pushed to do that it's great yeah well for me I almost had to unlearn the uptightness of classical music so I thought it was I literally went out of my way I was like I don't even know the names of the strings like I don't know anything like I was really willfully like re-ignorant of music theory <laughs> in order to like feel like I could play Real. guitar and not feel like oh god I'm not good enough like I haven't been studying it or and it worked like I started writing lots of songs without being like without having to know that much and my bandmates were also totally comfortable like being were a lot of them were self-taught and so um they were fine with communicating and just like it goes like this what do you think you know without being like you know i've been in bands where people are like and they knew where you're coming from like the your background yeah. so my my first band the operators it was two people i did um college radio with mm -hmm. uh, jen godfrey and paul coleman and then uh, Steph Malikian was my only internet friend ever. We had met because we were on, when she was in high school and I was in college, we were in a Thurry Muses, um, like, fan discussion group. <laughs> on Facebook or MySpace? Or? No, no, well, yeah, older, like, no, older. an email listserv, yeah. Awesome. Well, there was one called Subaculture that was all for Boston <laughs> 4AD bands that was, like, Pixies, Breeders. <laughs> yeah. Throwing muses, and then later we were in a Slater Kinney um, group together, and like just you know knew who each other were because we both posted a lot, and that yeah she was the first person I ever like met in real life who I'd known on the internet for a long time and became friends with, and I was like oh my god we have the exact same musical taste so um, yeah I ended up somehow tricking my other bandmates into thinking it was their idea to invite her to be in the band. <laughs> like, I introduced her to them, and I was, you know, just... Oh, wouldn't it be in, cool? Yeah. <laughs> I never actually uttered that. I, like, really? waited for them to be like, oh, my God, you know who would be good? <laughs> and I was like, she never occurred to me. <laughs> um, but, oh, but so the one... Um, Steph had a cello background, so she was like a, a little bit closer to where I was coming from. But um, Jen and Paul were both self-taught, and Paul actually once said to me, like he was a crazy multi-instrumentalist. He played like banjo and theremin, and and I was like, how do you know how to play so many instruments? And he's like, like how did you learn? He's like, I didn't learn. Like I just picked him up. Well, he's like, I don't even play any of them very well I mean I just like <laughs> play like one string at a time on band you know he's like you don't for my purposes it's like enough mastery of the instrument and I was like oh you know like and this is when I was, was still playing violin for you or it was it was I hadn't played guitar yet or maybe like I had actually an annoying um totally Eric Clapton obsessed roommate who like taught me a few chords but like I it just did not inspire Something me to want to early clap is yeah. not bad I like cream a lot cream's but, great yeah, I the I, first three Eric Clapton records. Yeah. I'm telling you, go back and listen to them. They're good. It, it might be tainted by this roommate. This roommate was All super right. annoying. But <laughs> so no, no Ocean Boulevard, no that shit, no. I 
I, it may just be that I'm ignorant of it, but yeah, I right now I draw a bright line at that's, Cream. That's, that's fine. <laughs> I'm the same way with Queen. I'm like I, yeah. I cannot. Oh cannot, really? Cannot dig on Queen. No. You see? Oh. Okay. Yeah. No. Well, and I've been on both sides. Of, like I used to be a Bob Dylan hater, and then like at some point I came around, and yeah. I, he's great. He's fine. Like <laughs> I don't know. My There's a lot of bands that I came around on, and I had these, you know, mm. and I think that has a lot to do with the same kind of like. Uh, you know, mentality I had in the '90s that you mentioned, like you know, solos are over. You know, this right. is the new thing. We're in, the, and I think a lot of that, one of my musical tastes came from that. And mm-hmm. A lot of my, like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, just pushing away of like bands like uh, Black Sabbath, Led right. Zeppelin, and like. Now, that now I sense. love them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I think, like, some of that's a function of being young, because I was exactly like that. Like, mm-hmm. in high school, so this was before I ever thought I would be in a man, but I was, I drew such a bright line. I was like, I like American guitar bands. I do not like British synth bands. That was my, like... No craft work. Yeah. No, no, like, Depeche <laughs> no. Mode. But it wasn't even that informed. Like, yeah. there were certainly things I didn't like, but I had, like, so little experience... And yeah, like that's not really how musical taste works. Like no, but it was definitely <laughs> I definitely did the same fucking yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> which is stupid. Yeah, well, I think there's like a whole other function that music serves in people's lives that's kind of sociological. Like there's there's the like aesthetic part of it, but there's the also you know I identify as a throwing music fan. I feel like I go to a concert and oh good they're all wearing glasses like me or whatever you know, <laughs> and that. It's just a part of being human. Like, people are really drawn to drawing lines around. Like, this is my team, my club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I get that. Sure. Um, and I, th- I feel like most people I know grow out of that as musicians. And I don't know if it's all adults grow out of that or at least if you're I think musicians yeah. in general, uh, I think we start, like, you, I think we start very small-minded. Yeah. You know, this is what I like, like you were just saying. And just the matter of being musicians you have to become more open-minded yeah i'd say that's 90 percent of the cases I'm yeah sure there's obviously the exceptions but yeah but it is interesting how young people tend to be that way and I, sure. I know i mean i was just so dogmatic and then i was like what that doesn't even make sense <laughs> i mean do you find that when, you, when you're teaching these these girls or they have it's interesting asking them what their favorite music is because i would say it's like not that fully baked like some kids like <laughs> Like what their parents like. Sure. Oh, I had that. I yeah. Was... Some kids, it's just like a little of everything. One thing that's really noticeable is that, like, when the kids are up to 10 and including 10, you'll ask them what's their favorite music and they'll be so excited and they'll be like, oh my God, I love Joe Jet and I love Missy Elliott and I love the Beastie Boys mm. and I love. You know, it's all over the place. Steel Eye Span, it could be whatever, but they'll be really excited to tell you and the kids will, like, there'll be a lot of crosstalk. And the first time I coached, like, 11-year-olds after having worked primarily with younger kids, I was like, what's everyone's favorite band? And I was like, I don't know. And then, like, uh, one kid was like... Apathetic. I like One Direction. And the other man was like, oh, yeah, they're cool. <laughs> like, they were looking for more validation from each other yeah. about the, what was what band was cool, and they didn't want to put themselves out there. And then when somebody would be like, I love Joe Jet, that's my mom's favorite band, then everyone... Get like they would warm up to it, sure. but I think that's one reason that 
the girls rock camp is really important and necessary is because it's something that happens to girls often at that age where you just get much more self-conscious and much more yeah there's tons of studies about how they don't speak up as much in, in class anymore and you worry more about what other people think and you why do you think this i mean obviously there's a yeah. grand scheme of it. Yeah. I mean, I think to get into, some of it is something developmental, you know, about the kids that's mm. sort of maybe something all kids go through. But I do think it's also cultural. Like, I just think, you know, um, at a certain age, like, girl, it's kind of frowned at for girls to be, like, loud or stupid or make, like, fart jokes or be, you know, there's, like, a whole <laughs> host of behavior that it's kind of, like, normal kid behavior yeah. that girls maybe get trained out of or shamed out of sooner or something. So strange. But, you know, I don't think it's only adults' faults. Like, I think the kids, you know, feel a drive to, to, you know, they're developing and they're trying to figure out how to socially fit in with other kids and it just kind of does a number on you and you don't have a lot of, like, intellectual resources. Do you think they just filter (laughs) out things that they think are going to get them in, in trouble socially? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's like a certain kind of being careful. Well, I think kids also really police other kids often for, um, you know, just I'm saying this for my own experience as a kid, but like if you're a weird kid, they're like, that's not cool to like, or, you know, that shirt's stupid, or, you know, like yeah, a yeah, kid yeah. will tell you immediately, like they're kind of tiny monsters that way, you know, they'll just be like... Kids are monsters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I fully believe that. Yeah. So, you know, some of it is that, like kids' cruelty and then it... I, I think somehow, like, girls don't always feel comfortable being in that space where other people are like, don't do that, it's stupid. You know, they, they will correct their behavior or they will try to, yeah, conform at that do you, age. I mean, do you think that's an intelligence level? I mean, because obviously men don't learn that lesson. They, yeah. They'll keep, on doing, <laughs> they'll keep on doing something stupid. You know, yeah. there's that age-old thing that I, I reference all the time. Yeah. The definition of insanity is doing something over and over again, yeah. expecting the same <laughs> different result or whatever. Yeah. It's a good question. I mean, I think some of it is just, I think it's developmentally where girls are at. I mean, people do sometimes say like, oh, girls mature faster, sure. or so, yeah, you know, that. but some of it is also that there's pressure because people, yeah, they're just like, don't do that. You're too old now. Like don't play in the mud or don't, you know, <laughs> don't like tell fart jokes. <laughs> I don't know. I keep coming back to that. But no, I, I don't think I would have married my wife if she didn't tell fart yeah. jokes. <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent reason to <laughs> seal the deal. Feel free to have another beer if you want it. Okay. Thanks. No, I'm still, I still got a quarter. Thank you. Um, so you, you started this first band. Mm-hmm. I did that for 10 years. It was 10 years. Yeah. Here in Boston. Yeah. Um, and it kind of happened really quickly looking back on it. Like we started at the end of 1999. We played like one friend's basement. Mm -hmm. We then got booked to play, um, a riot girl, uh, show showcase called variety. (laughs) Um, and, like after that we were just like all right we're a band we're booking shows we're you know we just felt super driven to do that and i think like once i started songwriting like that came very naturally to me and i wrote very quickly and we were also a band where like everyone did songwriting and so like in some ways it you know it's always hard songwriting but we're it was just like 
we amassed a lot of songs mm. and um i liked everything actually about gigging except performing like stage fright like i so you're still getting that i mean how long have you been playing guitar at this point now i've been playing guitar probably closer to 20 years well i mean at this time when you used to when you oh played. when i did it yeah so i'd only been playing guitar like Four years, three years. So that's pretty. That's pretty fucking good, I think. Yeah. For performing, uh, you know. Yeah, but I was, I was still terrified. Like I used to like do kind of a lot of shots before each show <laughs> on the theory that that would like, and it was not good. So how like, old were you when you're doing this? I'm in my twenties, okay. like mid to late twenties. When I first, when yeah. I played my first show, I was too young to drink, mm. but I'm certain I would have drank. Yeah. <laughs> It did not help. Like, it just makes you, like, play less accurately. But sure. I was just like, yep. uh I would have, like... An Wait a minute. You saying that being drunk is detrimental? I think so. <laughs> to, I think so. I mean, I don't like having, I played like, shows yeah. really stupid. Yeah. And I shouldn't have. Yeah. I... I think, like, it's fine to have a drink or two, but it's real. like, I can... I'm definitely less accurate the more I drink. And I also <laughs> found it weirdly didn't really help with the nerves as much as I thought I would. So, like, you know, if it really, really did ease your anxiety, it could be, like, a boost to it's your so performance. But for me, like, it just took repetition of doing it. And I remember it felt so crappy doing it. Like, I would have this sort of out-of-body feeling when I would be on stage. Like, I would just be like, I didn't even remember how the show went. And other people would like, it went great. And I'd be like, ah, I did it. Ah. <laughs> I think that's why I got drunk. Yeah, playing shows, yeah. Then, I, then I wouldn't remember. I'd be like, well, oh, it's over? Okay. Oh, cool. Let's assume it went well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's, there's, so there's even one point I was in like a discussion group with other artists. It was like, um, and this is maybe one of the things that made me interested in like an arts retreat too. This was like an early formative experience. I was in an artist group with like visual artists and writers and stuff. And we all had like totally different things we were working on, but it was like kind of good to talk about it. And it was all women. And I remember saying, like, it feels so terrible performing. I think maybe I should stop. Like, I like playing music oh. again. But, like, I, I feel like it really feels uncomfortable. And, I, you know, and one of the women was, uh, she, uh, her name's Lisa Clark. She's a great visual artist. She teaches at RISD. And she was like, sometimes you have to, like, I don't know if she said, like, turn into the skid. But she was like, sometimes, like, the fear means you should do it. Like, you... Sometimes it's just, like, important to you. Like, it's not... I mean, I think I, it's amazing that you <laughs> persevered and still did it. Yeah. Even though it was that frightening. Yeah. And there were lots of other things I did like about it. Like, I liked making posters. I liked, you know, <laughs> I liked playing music. I liked, like, being in a band with my friends. Like, I liked meeting other bands. You know, it was all very fun. I liked touring. But I, um, yeah. And so I think that actually was a push that really helped me. Just someone being like, you're saying it feels bad, but, like, that's not necessarily, like, I can't, I can't something I'll listen to. Like, <laughs> yeah. Feeling bad. Like, I I, mm. I loved playing. Mm. Even though, like, yeah. I would get nervous. Once I was up yeah. there, it was always, like, so fulfilling. Yeah. It took me a really long time to get there. Crazy. Um, like you seem like years. such a confident person. <laughs> Thank you, know? you. You know, like you seem like <laughs> yeah. you got your shit together. You, yeah. you know, Thank you, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. No, I mean, I think now I've gotten to the point where, I mean, probably for the past like five, ten years, I feel more comfortable. I feel comfortable on stage. I don't feel, you know, like yeah. sometimes like a gig, I'm like, ah, this is a really huge one or important mm -hmm. one or something. But, 
I don't have that feeling I had before, but because it was true, it really, it really makes me like teaching to other people and talking to other people off the ledge when they're like, I don't want to do it. I feel terrified, you know, and there's a lot of like, how do you, I mean, what's, what, what do you, what do you tell people? Yeah. There's you know, a, that's, where do you, and how, where did you find that? Like, how did you go yeah. through your own experiences? And Well, it helps to have my own experience to draw out and tell that to people. Cause a lot of people don't, how do you put it into words? Though? Realize, well, there's a few things I think are helpful to say to people. Mm-hmm. And some of it I've like picked up from, you know, other people I've taught with, or I've just read things about this. Um, but one thing you can tell people is you think it's so obvious how a stressed out you are like that there's like cartoon beads of sweat leaping off your forehead and everyone will see your hand shaking but in truth like people are when they're like more than five feet away from you cannot see that at all like oh, they no. do not know or care and they don't know like, you yeah you know like yeah and you they're know, not like you know, oh she seems yeah like unlike herself like jesse would know that, that i was nervous but yeah. she's the only one yeah so that helps people to realize like because when it's happening to you, you're like, oh my God, my palms are sweating. I feel like I'm going to throw up. I, you know, it feels like everyone must hear it in your voice. Everyone must be like just thinking that, that it's obvious how you feel on the inside shows on the outside. And that's, that for the most part isn't true. And it's helpful for people to hear that. It's also helpful to tell people like there's a very fine line between excited and nervous and sometimes you can kind of trick yourself into being like, no, I'm excited. <laughs> like, no, this is exciting. <laughs> well, it's like a similar, you know, they're both like, it's all like adrenaline or whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. your, your nervous system will be amped up, but not all of that is negative. Like you kind of want to be more on when you're performing. For sure. Yeah. And so like, yeah, one thing I sometimes like draw on the board for kids actually is like kind of a parabola. I forget where I saw this, like some article, but like for performance, whether it's like athletes or musicians or whatever, um, you actually like want to be kind of, so the parabola represents like how, um, activated your nervous system is like with all the like sort of, uh, anxiety and excitement Mm -hmm. um hormones and you want to be kind of like at the top of that bell curve yeah to perform at your best but like there is a moment where you're so stressed out that like your performance starts to decline on the other end but it's also true like you know like you you can still perform through that like nothing's gonna nothing bad's gonna happen Another thing we we picked up from other girls rock camps, a fun trick is like, what's the worst that could happen? Like, let's talk through it. So it's like, okay, you're so worried you're gonna like pee your pants on stage and then you're gonna electrocute yourself. Like, I mean, that would yeah. be worst case scenario. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that's exactly <laughs> it. You talk through the worst case scenario, and by the end, the kids are like laughing and they're like, yeah. okay, I guess that's that not probably happen. won't happen. <laughs> like, maybe I'll just kind of feel nervous and then it'll be. And that'll be, and for the most part, like people, we do create an environment. So we work really hard to, um, give them just like a ton of support and attention and have all the kids also reinforce each other. Like no one ever performs and like kids are at the back of the room, like not watching, like everyone is like giving them all their positive energy. Mm-hmm. And that also, I think really helps them get through it. They're just like, you know, I don't think there's any kids who are ever like, I'm sorry I performed. I'm sorry I did right. You know, like they're like, I feel like it was, I thought I wasn't going to like it. And I felt really good that I did it. So do you all, I mean, when, before you have the final performance, you mm. you guys, uh, you all rehearse on yeah. stage. 
we have a, one dress rehearsal. So it's one week. They have to write their own original song. This is a barn burner, of yeah. course. They all morning take instrument lessons, and then all it's afternoon, taking me like band three practice. or four weeks to write a song. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the good part of it is that there isn't really time to overthink it in a way. Like, you know, it turns out that that's actually, like, some, some of those constraints are helpful. Like, sure. you're just like, you're just going to do it. And they're like, okay, you know. <laughs> It, it does motivate them to do it quickly, just knowing, like, this is the only chance. But it's also a minor miracle. Like, we managed to make that week for, sure, like, absolutely. a really long time. Um, and it's because there's a ton of work by all these different volunteers. Like, um, by the end of it, we're all, like, there's so many moving parts. Exhausted. Like, yeah. I'm sure there's someone <laughs> writing down the chord changes. Yeah, so each band has a band coach and a band manager. And the band coach tends to be, you know, a lot of times people do both roles or but the band coach tends to be the one who's like all right um like gives them suggestions for how to go about their songwriting but never writing the song for them or being like give me the guitar i'll show you how it's done kid but like you know okay do you want to do you think that was the verse or the chorus or how many times do you guys think you want to do that or have you considered you know yeah yeah yeah. so you, you give them a lot of tools to write the song. That's the band coach. So they, they might, a lot of times we end up with cheat sheets for the bands, like B, yeah. D flat, B, D flat, you know, <laughs> pointing. And um, and then the band manager worries more about, like, just make sure, like, has everyone had a break? Has everyone had a snack? Has it, but a lot of times those roles are completely interchangeable. Yeah, sure. Um, and it's also, like, kind of nice. A lot of people actually get involved who aren't necessarily musicians, but they're like, I like that this exists. I want to be part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of roles for people to do that because um, it's just kind of, like, a great atmosphere. Like, everyone involved. It's a feel-good thing, I would say. So you you didn't necessarily have what, you, what you're given these, these, these ladies. What did – how did you get over it? I would say it was just repetition. Like, I had to, like, go through being nervous for, like, my first, like, 100 gigs or something. You played a lot. Yeah. (laughs) And then, like, (laughs) and then over time it got better. Um, And I would say it was, like, even, I mean, I can remember times I was, like, felt extremely nervous within the past five years like there's been shows where like maybe I didn't like gig out for nine months and then I had a show and suddenly I was like oh now I feel really nervous I forgot this could happen (laughs) (laughs) I forgot to tell you guys that I'm completely fucking frightened of this shit (laughs) yeah I mean for the most part it's good to have bandmates like it's nice to have other people you can turn to and be like I don't know you can just like vibe with them or give them like visual support like reassure each other and so one of the things I do actually is like, I don't always tell my bandmates, oh my God, I'm freaking out because like it might bring them down. But I also know if I look at them and if I am stressed out for the most part, I get like a sort of reassuring look I'm back. Yeah. Flabbergasted by all, every, all of this. So really? crazy. Were you nervous during any of the animal hospital? Oh my God. I was so nervous during all of the animal hospital. Really? Even so... with that giant... See, now, I was crazy nervous. Yeah. But then, you know, the same same advice you just gave me. You're like, what's yeah. the worst going to happen? And no one's going to hear me. Right, right. There's so many people. No one knows what these songs guitars. sound like. And yeah. there's like 60 people here. <laughs> yeah. Playing. Yeah. Well, I mean, some of the parts are really exposed. Like, I, I had, like, the first note and a, <laughs> a couple well, of songs. Or, like, um, so I was, like, one of the timekeepers for, um, oh, what's it called? The um, rockin' one. Parallel, 
that song. The the one that's in like do, 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 seven. Do, yeah. Do, 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 do. Yeah. So I'm the first note in that. I was always like, oh, that's a tough God. one. I mean, yeah, I will yeah. say because I'm I'm like the the off. I was like yeah. the off note. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> it took me forever, and then I was standing right near Michael Hutchinson, and yeah. he's like, he's like here. This is how it goes. And he, yeah. And he wrote, and then, then after that, I wrote it down. Yeah. And somehow I could follow it after that. Yeah. I mean, certainly that was, that's like a tough. Yeah. That was like unfamiliar to a lot of people. Actually, one thing, so I started out in animal hospital ensemble playing violin rather than guitar. Oh, cool. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So now like you're violin, you, I'm, I'm sure you could get like so many yeah. well, gigs I, just playing violin. I came back around to playing violin. Like when I first started being in Shepherdess, um, which is my current band with Hilgen and um, stuff from the operators just joined it actually. And Allison Murray is our drummer. But um, in Shepherdess, Hilk and I used to play like totally acoustic, really quiet. Like I would play violin and she would play guitar and we'd play like so little nice. backyard parties. It was so nice. And then like, just over time, you could like chart it on a graph. We've just gotten so <laughs> much louder over time. Like we, we. I was gonna say I, yeah. I listened to you know some of your songs. I'm like, yeah. really? Yeah. It doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so loud, like. But I really like that about it. I mean, I think some of that is like, yeah, like I just like going off that kind of gritty deep end like I also I think like it's a huge strength of Hilker she writes really beautiful melodic stuff mm -hmm. but there's something about me that kind of like wants to yeah take it in a fucked up direction sometimes sure. and I yeah I, I like doing that and yeah there's something about me I get like less mellow with age I feel like I'm like things should be more noisy <laughs> how do you do that because um, I am getting yeah some of it is aged. well so like Adam Brilla and Jen Turpin are my like pedal dealers I mean so. <laughs> well yeah I'm like, they first of all since yeah. I've known Adam Brilla and I've known Adam Brilla for 30 years yeah oh my goodness I didn't realize that from He's, yeah I no, I mean, I knew him before he went to Burlington. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, we, were in a, we were in a band a long time ago. So cool. My first band. Ooh. Well, yeah, my first band. Which band was that? I don't want to say the name. Okay. <laughs> it is a terrible name. I'll, I'll, I'll okay. never, it can't I'll never. be worse than Sweatpant Boners. You weren't in Sweatpant Boners. I was not in Sweatpant Boners. Okay. <laughs> um, but, like, they're, like, so even-keeled all the time. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, insane. Oh, like if you were just yeah. talking about like, oh, they're the mellowest people. But like, I've definitely gotten so many great noisy no, weird sure, pedals sure. from them, which is I know, from being like so like mild mannered. They're like yeah. they the, make the most noise. Yeah, I'm talking to Jen next Sunday. Oh, that's so great. That's really cool. Yeah, Jen is another person I've taught with a lot. Like taught guitar. Mm -hmm. She's a fantastic teacher and really patient and like that. Yeah. I mean that I as soon as I remember knew that she was doing that like she'd be perfect for that yeah yeah she is like i don't know such a zen presence but but they are my supplier for like i'm definitely <laughs> addicted to like new pedals sure. and i've gone in a direction where i'm like you know sort of interested when i find things like it sounds really terrible when i use my wah on top of like some of my other effects mm -hmm. like i have a um electric mrs Cl mistress clone mm -hmm. electric lady and uh, um, Big Muff variant, the English muffin. <laughs> and, like, I have this really harsh, like, trebly wah, and 
the three of those things together, I'm like, I love how terrible this is. <laughs> and loud. And so, yeah, I don't know. There's something about, like, as I'm aging, I'm getting more into, like, effects. And actually, this reminds me, it was something funny. before When I was still playing violin, before mm-hmm. I started playing guitar, like, I think I, like, imagine if I were to be a guitarist, I'd want to be the kind of guitarist who just makes, like, really weird, like, noise all the time. And then I ended up being, like, a more straightforward rhythm guitarist. But now I feel like I'm finally coming back around to like, oh, that was my dream. Like when I was like, if I were to play guitar, it should you could be like make so many weird noises with violin. <laughs> Holy crap! That's true too. Yeah. Well, so especially through those effects. Yeah, coming back around to violin. <laughs> seltzer behind you. Oh, thank seltzer. You. Coming back around to violin was kind of. Um, it was hard to do, but I was glad I did it. Like did you had to relearn a lot of it. Yeah, it was a little rusty, but I think almost worse was the part where I, on violin, felt more uptight again. I was just like, oh, it's an instrument I'm supposed to be good at. What if I'm not? And so crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I felt actually pretty nervous playing violin in the context of um, Animal Hospital Ensemble. Although the interesting thing about that was that the whole string section at least had experience being conducted and there were things I watched the guitar players learn that I was like, oh, it didn't occur to me that you wouldn't know that. Like, people were like, oh, if I wait, you know, when we were standing in a giant courtyard, mm-hmm. they were like, if I wait till I hear it, it's too late. I have to see yeah, Kevin yeah. signal or or else I won't. And I was like, yeah, that's how it works to be in a giant ensemble. Well, that's oh, the wait, thing. No, that most of these people are four feet yeah. fans, you yeah. know, like, yeah. and you hear everything like probably before it even happened it's yeah like, it's like so on top of you and you have like all these like physical signals too like yeah. when you're in a four-piece band and you're standing like two feet away from the other huh. guitarist you're like sensing like oh they're starting to almost pick the note and yeah there's like none of that when you're in a 50 band circle sure. very unnatural yeah, i'm sure you're not looking at anybody but <laughs> yeah whatever you know you're yeah, but the, the string players were like we got this in terms of that in terms yeah, of like yeah, being yeah. conducted and like being able to read the like weird you know time signatures and stuff like that that was not a problem for us but yeah every Did he time write everything out for you like uh i think that maybe nicholas who is playing standing bass he might have done the transcription or something or he was he was kind of interpreting for the string players because they brought in a lot of like people who are really like classical mm-hmm. um people um, who were great. It was, yeah, it was fun. Eventually, we um, Kevin stopped having the strings. I think just in part, it was, like, so much chaos. Like, it's hard yeah. to get 50 people together and do anything. Like, so it's like, at least maybe if everyone's playing the same instrument, like, <laughs> it's more manageable. But, um, but yeah, I would, I would say, like, there's still something, there's still some baggage with violin for me, which is too bad because, like, I like it. Dude, I'm good at it. Yeah. <laughs> I would love for you to play violin on. I would be happy to play violin. Yeah. I wish I knew no, that you did. Yeah. Because I probably I would I definitely asked you to play yeah. on the last record. Please feel free to ask me in the future. I would love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. It, I think like I'm getting past most of my like reticence about playing. It. Yeah. But it's weird. <laughs> and it's. I mean, it's really like I spent so long just. Yeah doing this thing of you like compete for seats you know you're like oh no I slipped one seat this year out of the orchestra or it just it didn't feel creative and rewarding in a way oh and um actually this is a story sometimes I tell at rock camp just because it it did have a really big influence on me when I was in college um and still playing in the orchestra there 
we had a really fabulous concert master and she played solo for the whole orchestra. Like we got to listen and I was, and she was great. And I was just like, Oh my God, amazing. Like I'll never play that well, but like amazing. I'm so glad, like, you know, I'm in the orchestra with this great musician. And then there was like a critique from the professor and they were, I think they said something like, you're just now getting to the point where you have the um, technical mastery where you can now really actually express yourself through the music. Like, you don't have to worry about technique. Like, you, mm. just the emotion will show through what you do. And that's, like, a really special thing that starts to happen at this level. And I was like, wait, what are the rest of us doing? We're not expressing ourselves? I was like, I'm never going to be as good so, as like, a soloist. And, like... I need more technical mastery just to like start to express myself and that felt really sad <laughs> does it become like just a job when you're doing like that kind of like work when you're just when you're just a I don't part think of a, so you know? no I think everyone who is a classical musician loves music and like it's a joy to play music I don't think that goes away it was just the trappings of it the like you know there's only one right way to do it. There's only one career path to either like go to conservatory and right. you know, or else you're washed up. Like don't bother, don't you know? Yeah. Well, even with like piano lessons, I, it's not even like I, I decided I wanted to move to violin, but I think like when I was just like a little kid, it was like the Lisa Simpson thing where her saxophone teacher told her she had stubby fingers <laughs> and like, but they were like, you do not have piano hands. Like don't bother. And that's, that's kind disheartening. Of, yeah, yeah. Fuck that shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that I, I, I'm sure if I if, like I went to took take guitar lessons, they would have been like, "Your fingers are tiny." Yeah. Don't yeah. don't play guitar. Although I've actually never understood about that. You know how people are like, "Oh my God, Jimi Hendrix, he had such big hands." And yeah. That's why he's, I was like, "Why don't we all just play smaller guitars?" Then? Like <laughs> I don't get, understand. Get, get your music master. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. That is a, actually that is a favorite of guitar instructors at Girls Rock Camp. Like we had one because um, oh, also the Duo Sonic is like yeah, basically the same guitar. Yeah, right? um, but we were like, oh my god, this is the cutest and easiest to play guitar ever. Yeah. Like it's, it's yeah, funny. yeah. I just recently <laughs> found a picture of me playing it in my like nice. one of my first bands. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, because I talked to Noelle. Do you know Noelle? Oh, yeah. Noelle is in the Twin Peaks cover band. Is she? Yes. She did not fucking mention that. She, well, it we, just, I just talked. we've only had one show. Okay. We're, we just booked another, we're booking another show. But um, she is Julie Cruz and Julie Cruz director. Awesome. Yeah. And then um, these two Berkeley jazz musicians, Magdalena Abrego and Allison Burke, they're in a duo called Umbrella Pine. They're like the jazz core of our ensemble. And then Laura Cromwell, who is the reunion drummer for the Shags, um, who's an awesome, Definitely could not hang great with you. drummer. Oh my god! So much, but, so much <laughs> talent there. That's our like little super group. It came together instantly. Like, yeah, everyone I asked was immediately like, yes, and I was like, oh my god, this is great. It's great. Yeah, I did try to do a, um, and it's similar mm -hmm. in a way that like, I think maybe what we're talking about in some sense. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just in love with all these crappy 80s uh, sitcoms yeah and, uh, <laughs> bad like a-team and all, a -team, and all yeah. these all these musicians who played these these theme songs were like mm. classically trained like, right session musicians, session musicians. Or, yeah. and you're like 
you, when you listen to those songs, you're like, oh, that, that, that's easy. I can do that. <laughs> no, you not. cannot. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to do like a, like a kind of like a Halloween band where we play all like, it, like all kind of weird, just sick. If you want to get together. So we're, we're booking a show called TV dinner with cotton candy who do, um, TV jingles, Mark oh, yeah? and Evelyn Hurley and, um, Chris and Ernie and Adam Brilla doing Star doing Blazers, Star Blazers again. And then this Twin Peaks band. So yeah, um, if you want to cover the I'd 18, to, yeah, you're welcome. To it, was called, it was called yeah. Fort Awesome. Yeah. And, oh, cool. And we had three songs we mastered. Amazing. 18, Magnum <gasps> PI and Simon and Simon. Well, if you want to reunite, I Adam was in Fort Awesome. Oh, for a I had no idea. That's yeah. so cool. Well, it failed miserably. <laughs> but you might want to consider reviving it. Yeah, yeah. it was fun. I, yeah. When I when we got like Magnum PI down, I was like, all right, I can, yeah. we can stop. That's you know? got to be hard. That it's a really hard song, and we did not do it justice. No. Yeah, mm. it's a hard. It's a tough one. Yeah. Um, so you. This, this first band last 10 years, you said? 10 years. And now I've been in Shepherdess for 10 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. See, again, like, that yeah. seems like, like, that's a long time. It like, is. I did not realize that you all were around for that long. Yeah. I mean, some of it is that, like, we're not going at the pace of people who don't have day jobs. Like, we do You're have day now. jobs. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, a lot of times it would be, like, like, Shepherdess is, like, six years between albums. So that's, <laughs> yeah. And that's partially a function of all of us teach at rock camp. So we're, like, mm-hmm. oh, it's summer. Forget it. We're not making any progress until yeah. fall. Um, so we have, like, a, yeah, six-month blackout. I mean, that must be you... nice, though, to have, like, no real expectations. Like, you just kind of, like... Yeah, I mean, I think there's always, like, you know, su- people have, like, some ambition and some, you know, like a lot of us have that like itchy sweater thing of like, I have to do something. I need to like be <laughs> need, working needs on a to be project going forward or, or hmm? needs to be going forward. Or? Yeah. Like, yeah. Artistically and, or like, let's have some gigs and have people actually hear us or like, mm-hmm. let's put out a record and hopefully people will hear it. Um, so I would say it's not just a, like, I just love, I just love just to like practice in private but that said like I am a very big proponent of like if you don't there's like no goal that is outside of liking the process of it that first of all like so few people have any goal you know it doesn't even make sense there's no like career that's like rock star really that's not a thing it is over with um yeah, especially since, like, as I was talking about the record Weasels in the 90s, like, that was oh, a yeah, short get time period when, yeah, like, indie rock was a cash cow, but, um, but everyone I know who's a musician, like, loves the process of making music, they love practicing, they love, like... I mean, uh, I think I had an epiphany, um, maybe, not this, not this part, uh, it was, uh, maybe two episodes ago, mm. the fuck was I talking to? Uh, yeah, oh, it was Gold Muse. I was talking to Gold Muse. Nice. Um, and they practiced in this room. Oh, cool. And uh, one of the guys, the drummer, said that, you know, he was always, that, that was the goal. Like, let's play, I want to play shows. That's what I want to do. That's what I, and that's, that's, that's the end for everything. Yeah. And it was, then they went to go record, and he was like, oh, I was always fucking so nervous about recording. And I felt mm. the same way. Like, recording for me was like, just pain in the ass yeah. was mm. just like oh. more nervous for me than actually going on stage like completely yeah. opposite I don't know That's how you feel about, about recording yeah I mean it can be high pressure but I think it's easier than me on stage yeah so. see I'm I, I'm the opposite like yeah. being being you know see like so we were saying like uh, 
you know, animal hospital. You're you're in this grand or- grand orchestra. Yeah. No one's gonna fucking hear you. No mm. one even knows what the songs sound like. Right. <laughs> so if you fuck up, it doesn't matter. But recording. But recording. The like these are the people yeah. I know and respect. Yeah. And I'm wasting their fucking time by screwing yeah. up. Now that you've mentioned it. Maybe I'll be more nervous the next time I go into the recording. But, yeah. but anyway, he, yeah. he was like, he's like, I, I, that was my end goal, like playing out. And then yeah. once they had this positive, mm-hmm. his first positive recording experience, Yeah, he said that wasn't important anymore. And I, mm-hmm. and I told him, I was like, holy shit, I feel the same way. Those last, I've always had terrible yeah. recording experience. The mm-hmm. last one was great. And now nice. I don't really don't care as much about mm-hmm. playing out every fucking yeah which is in this town is tough yeah yeah no that's interesting i yeah i think in some ways like i mostly care well some of it's my experience like i just find it fun to like meet new people or like go somewhere to play a show or have an occasion like i like that part of playing out um but it's also just yeah however people hear the music like i you know i hope it connects to someone um like, I don't want to just make bedroom recordings and then be like, have someone discover it after I've been dead. Like, 400 <laughs> been years later, be like, oh my God, this person would have been amazing had they ever, yeah. I don't know. I think it's it's somewhat like my like musical uh, exploration, mm. especially since being you know, a record store employee for so oh, long. Yeah. Uh, I found so many bands that never went anywhere and those people are long gone. Yeah. And, I still think it's amazing that I found this record that yeah. maybe 600 people heard in the yeah. last whatever. So no, maybe maybe one day someone's going to hear my record and be like, hey, this yeah. is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, that said, like, I, well, I still do go hear a lot of live music, but I definitely am a record listener and, like, mm-hmm. obsessive collector, too. So, yeah. yeah. And I like recording and... I actually like the whole process of trying to polish the song up and like layer it and like yeah I've done. Are you things. perfectionist? Um, I guess I would say no, but I'm very driven when I have like a vision for something mm-hmm. like you know just get really dug in about like no this has to sound like you know weird digital distortion here or like this Are is meant leader? to be. I'm bossy, but. I'm not the leader at Shepherdess. Hulkin, I would say, is the band leader in Shepherdess. And in the operator, sometimes I was the boss, yes, but we were all, yeah, songwriters. Um, but we would also, like, battle with each other, you know, be like, no, that doesn't sound right. Or, you know, yeah. like, sometimes, sometimes you just get into a standoff, but, you know, people are like, that note doesn't sound good. And you're like, it sounds great. And then, yeah, someone has to back that. <laughs> I've definitely had that. I'm like, yeah. And especially recently, I'm like, nope. Yeah. And I've gotten shit for it. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. But it's, I, I think that's like an okay part of the process. Like, I think that it's a sign of people like being invested in like having a musical opinion. And I know, yeah. Like, I mean, I can still like be petty and get annoyed at like, I think I was still right about like, there shouldn't have been a fade out in this song or whatever. <laughs> it's like, wow. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> you uh, like some, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, all the people in, in my are my band, the band that I'm in, are I think far more talented than I am. So I'm when sure it, that's not true. No, no, I think it is, and I think they're uh, like I come in with the riffs a lot of times, yeah. but they write the song. Mm-hmm. I don't write the song. They do, you know. So 
I really give them a lot of credit for coming. They don't, like, when they come up with something, yeah. they fucking have no idea what to do. Yeah. That's well, it. certainly, I've never been in a band where, like, people don't come up with their own parts. Yeah. It's not, like, very collaborative and people don't feel ownership over. Yeah. I think I really like and value that. Like, that was one thing I felt like I was missing in classical music was, yeah, not writing anything myself, but also, like, you know, people. You're sort of, like, doing something in service of other people's ideas. Like, the mm-hmm. conductor gets to decide, like, how the performance should sound. And, you know, you get to perform it, but only kind of, yeah, it's bounded by a lot of things. Like, what's on the page and what the conductor wants and what your, <laughs> yeah, the leader of your instrument group wants and stuff. So, I really like that's a free-for-all with a rock band. <laughs> I think it's the way it should be. I mean, yeah. obviously, there are bands that work out there that mm. are very... Dictatorial. You know, yeah, totalitarian or whatever. Fuck, you know, like, one person's coming in, they just they wrote the whole song. Yeah. This is what you're going to play kind of shit. Yeah. I, I don't have the talent to fucking think through that much shit. Like, yeah. you know, to tell, to tell a drummer how I want a beat to be played. Yeah. You know, why would I even do that? I don't know. Yeah. Um, it sounds kind of hellish to me. Yeah, and it also seems kind of hacky. Like, what the fuck? You yeah. Know? I think it's going to be better when this person puts their own. Yeah. Well, and it's almost true of, like, anything. Like, I mean, I think, like, being part of a good team in any situation is, like, people feeling some autonomy and... Yeah, it's more fulfilling, freedom. I yeah. think, from all standpoints. Yeah. But, like, that is how some mu- music world works. Like, you have a band leader, and yeah. it's cut and dried, and they're like, yes, you no, wonder. you're replaceable. Like, <laughs> yeah, you wonder how the, these, whatever's left of rock music functions. How do they function as they are? And yeah. You usually, I think what it generally is, is you have one person, mm-hmm. and then they just get session people yeah. to do it for yeah. them. With, you know, exceptions. Yeah. Of course, like, I guess, Foo Fighters are. Yeah, no. Uh, well, and I want to think, I feel like St. Vincent's band has been the same for a well, while. Well, you know, I mean, obviously, I think, and, and really, uh, is there's that that tier of musician, mm-hmm. you know, that, like the Queens, Stone Age, the Foo Fighters, yeah. that type of musician, I think, is almost extinct. Yeah. And yeah. Then, then you come down to the St. Vincent, which I think is the next tier, right, where right. she is, like, you know, amazing musician. Yeah. And, uh, is very successful. Yeah. I have a funny story about <laughs> Andy Clark, which is that like not that long ago, I think we were doing something at rock camp. Um, and Slammer, uh, Slesser, who I had been in a band with, we were doing office work at rock camp, like during one of the sessions. And I forget how it came up, but she was like, remember that show I booked where I booked the operators and Andy Clark and, and I was like, what? Wait, start again. She's like, remember how I booked that show at the Milky Way and you guys played? And she then was it, there? She, Andy Clark opened for the operators. And I was like, what? <laughs> wow. No memory of it. Actually, no, embarrassingly, I have some memory. I remember being like, oh, she's like a singer-songwriter. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I know I've said that before. Yeah. <laughs> I just made like a knee-jerk, you know, like sure. I'm not into I'm it. I'm glad that you yeah. have that same reaction I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not, you know, 
it's a, like overgeneralization, <laughs> sure. but in that case, I, yeah, like I feel like great sadness that I'm like, oh, I like completely didn't even probably watch her perform. Oh well, like I mean, well, and she was playing totally different stuff. She really was more singer songwritery than. And I was gonna know. mention I saw Cat Power once, and mm. she. This is, you know, I don't know, I'm sure you know how her, her anxiety... She's famously, yes, melt, melting down at shows. I've and obviously couple... I've seen her since this. This yeah. was like probably 96. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At Middle East Upstairs. I might have she been like, there, yeah. Yeah, you, I'm sure you yeah. were probably there. She like ran off stage. <gasps> yeah. Mm-hmm. And like was hiding in the back corner. Yeah. <laughs> singing, still singing. Yeah. But, you know... That's the kind of anxiety. Like, I mean, yeah. It was never like that. Yeah. I, I, that, I've never done that. Like, I feel like it's all the turmoil has been on the inside for the most part when I'm on stage. Mm-hmm. Like, I haven't usually actually fainted or anything, but yeah. Yeah. I, I saw Cat Power earlier than that even. This is actually another reason that my college radio station experience was good is that... Um, oh, what year was that? So... I mean, when her first her first record yep. came out, when it was, was early '90s. Yeah. That, so it was like maybe '93. So you saw her even before Matador. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and the reason was, do you know who Tom Windish is? He name sounds familiar. Has his own booking concern. It's like Windish. He used to be at Billions Booking, but he got his start at Binghamton. He was in a rock band with a bunch of my college radio friends, and he booked like. He, I forget what the name was of the club, but he was the like booker for things, and he was so ambitious. He would book like, like I remember Super Chunk played like the bus stop at two in the afternoon. What? And they were like, what the, what are we doing with our lives? Like low play. Uh, it would have been, it's pre. Um, what's the one with the bunny before pre, that one? Pre before foolish. Yeah, before foolish. So no pocky. Or probably the, no or the pocky. Yeah, no, I think it was no pocky. Um, and low played there in Whoa. that era. Yeah. And the band would always be like kind of disgruntled. Like, I mean, there are other places he booked too, like the pub and, but he loved to book like afternoon at the bus stop and the band would just be like, I cannot believe I'm in Bingham, yeah, New York. Yeah, you're like, wait a minute. Playing at a bus who, stop in Tunia. Who allowed this? <laughs> yeah. But like, it, he's cool, like though. a rage to book and he's like, yeah, he's one of the people I think who made Coachella, like, like he was an early adopter of EDM as like a thing to book. And so, yeah, he's a very successful booker. And so that also had an impact on, yeah, just like what I experienced musically as an undergrad. I was like, wow, there's all these great <laughs> bands that are bust up all the time. Cool. Awesome. Uh, so what do you guys, I mean, you said that your, your drummer is pregnant. Oh yes, so Allison child, just so. had a baby. Oh, so yeah. she just had. Okay, congratulations. Sarah, yeah, he's amazing. He's the cutest. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, he's on social media a lot. He's he's got a whole cool. yeah, Instagram. <laughs> and yeah, we're we're actually um, you know probably going to play in the not too distant future. Like just once things have settled down a little yeah. for her. But in the meantime, I'm doing the Twin Peaks cover band thing. Julie Cruz, director. I kind of want to see that. Yeah. And I know yeah. people in this band 
wouldn't go see it. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. And I, um, the other thing about that band that's interesting is I've switched to keys. Like, not content with like not knowing how to play guitar, or <laughs> and I now I'm like not knowing how to play. Keys. I kind of hate you. But, I kind of yeah. hate you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's partially I got a Mellotron. I couldn't resist like the digital Mellotron that has all the original samples on it, and I've been like fussing around with it for a while. But um, it has really good uh, vibes with vibrato on it, and I was nice. like, oh, this is totally mean to do the Twin Peaks. Like, did you get vibes. this for this, or did you get this for? With I got name? it. I got it. Uh, no, I actually got it just going to Moog Fest. Like, I've been going to that music oh, shit. festival to that. and like trying out all kinds of gear. I got a like theremin one of the previous years. Um, and it was always just like, well, this is like a new way to like musically explore, but it was, this was like very intense. Like once we decided to do the Twin Peaks thing, we had like one month to learn everything. How'd and you I was learn like, those songs? I, I practice. <laughs> I mean, it's still did, like, did he write yeah. some of those songs? Is some of that music his? Uh, he wrote lyrics to some of them, both some of the songs on the soundtrack, but also Julie Cruz's album. I think he wrote a couple of songs mm-hmm. and they have like Twin Peaks references baked into the songs, even though they weren't formally part of the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. So we cover like, uh, some of Julie Cruz's over outside of that. Um, and we've added a couple like Re- Rebecca Del Rio from the new series, my old bandmate Slamber. Um, portrays Rebecca Dull. So we have a couple of cameos in addition to our core group, like singing <laughs> different parts. Cameos? Yeah. Um, but I can definitely feel my brain like expanding, learning how to play keys again and like trying yeah. to read music again. I'm not good at reading music for piano at all, <laughs> I found out. But I'm like, this is actually much better than any like app to make your brain like, you know, I don't know. This is oh, yeah, that, definitely yeah. making me learn. Jesse's been, <laughs> Jesse's feel... been doing those apps. She's like, oh, you yeah. better do these apps or mm-hmm. you're going to get dumb and have, yeah. you know, have Alzheimer's. Just learn to play Melchon. <laughs> I should probably learn a different instrument. I was, yeah. you know, maybe banjo or something like that. Definitely. Well, my dad just moved to town and gives banjo lessons, so I'll hook you up. Oh, really? <laughs> he really want to learn to play banjo, uh, yeah. I'm kind of interested in that, actually. <laughs> he's a, he was formerly a bluegrass musician. Now he's an old-time musician. I always but... say that bluegrass is like the metal of country music. It is. <laughs> well, soloing. and They're so it's into soloing. Same. It's very jockey, like playing for <laughs> speed and yeah. like power. Um, but I'm actually, I'm glad my dad hopped the fence to old time because it's a little more like indie rock in spirit. It's like, you know, you jam for a long time and mm-hmm. everyone gets to play together. And <laughs> uh, if he can, if he can teach someone who has no musical yeah. theory, that's fine. I, he has taught a lot, so I think he can, yeah, All he's right, been cool. teaching for a long time. So. <laughs> he's actually like mastered his instrument. Like I, yeah, have now like learned a lot, some of a lot of different instruments, but my dad is always focused on banjo been really into it so yeah i wish one of my parents played an instrument oh you know? yeah a lot of people i know they did and that's how they yeah. got into it but it might be also like that's like a lot of guys i think it's like for some it's like just more of a i wouldn't say career path but it's more of a like hobby choice for them like people are like oh give the kid an electric mm-hmm. guitar for his birthday but like a lot of the women i know like grew up with a parent who was a musician like a you know and was it usually like piano not necessarily like a lot of people yeah like had you know dads who were jazz guitarists or moms who were professional i think think it was a thing back in especially when my parents were Mm. growing up you you just took piano you just took piano lessons yeah well i think it was a huge marker of like being middle class too Mm -hmm. it was like we own this piece of furniture giant that you can make music on. interesting (laughs) yeah that's crazy yeah to think about (laughs) 
and it, it's changed and now there's like it's said there's a lot of pianos that people don't want and yeah I feel I, I want them all to have homes <laughs> like I actually really uh, no I abandoned piano because of my stubby fingers I still think it's a great <laughs> instrument <laughs> yeah you should have one yeah well I did I did I took in my like husband's childhood piano to mm-hmm. our old apartment I was like we're gonna have part people are gonna play like barrel house piano <laughs> it's gonna be great <laughs> and then like we just didn't really play it that much and then just as we get we got rid of it in our move we moved as I mentioned to Medford from Sarville we gave away the piano to a very good home like mm-hmm. musician who's definitely gonna use it and like my husband Chris had just started work composing on it but so that's we both started like having synths around the house like we built a little synth closet and that was part of the context in which I got the Mellotron to bring home to the synth closet I was like well it is a cool new way to songwrite that might like push us in different directions and it has like just having access to a different instrument yeah yeah makes you try new things that you haven't done before but um yeah, I kind of am sad that physical pianos are going away. Like, I, I, I'm delighted when I see them at other people's houses, but they are huge and really heavy and stuff. I don't think my mother's piano has been tuned since 1985. Mm-hmm. It can be hard to, like, get it back up after that. Like, yeah, I mean, after that line, it's probably... Yeah. It might be kind of warped. But uh, North Bennett Street School has, like, an apprentice piano tuning thing, so you can get them to, like, tune it on the cheap if you want to, like, test it out and see... If They're going to come out of Sturbridge, Massachusetts to do yeah. that? Well, they might. They yeah. might. They do, like, piano restoration. Like, you might be able to talk them into it. Like, hey, you can just practice if you crack the sound bit board. No big whoop. Or, yeah. That's not, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. Huh. I thought about it. My grandmother has an old player piano that it's an Ampico, and it's it's like a music box, but it works. It blows wind through, like, paper that has punch-outs of it. Yeah. And it's incredible it doesn't work at the moment like but i just remember you can play like it has Rachmaninoff playing his own works and stuff and it has all these like yeah crazy rolls, i was just in an antique store and i saw some rolls uh, old rolls the rolls are really collectible yeah they they have like a custom furniture cabinet that has all the rolls in it and but the see that just to have one of those would be great yeah it's yeah so cool. well a lot of times when friends come over they're like i could fix this like it's and you're like <laughs> are you sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't think so yeah but that's one reason I know about the North Bennett Street. For, I was like, maybe like they would be interested in coming and giving it a whirl. That's like, cool I, they do it, though. Yeah. I thought they, it was like just like violin. They have a luthier program, but yeah. separately they have a piano. Like, it's piano restoration and not just tuning, I think. Um, and they it kind of goes with the luthier thing, but they also have a historical carpentry program. So I think they all like speak to each other. I looked at going there. Yeah, it seems awesome. And then I was like, no fucking way. Yeah, I mean, it's probably kind of expensive. It's like, ex- super expensive and yeah. just very intense. Yeah, I mean, probably the job prospects are hard Limited. or mixed at least. Yeah, yeah, like, they teach so many great things, like really artisanal bookbinding and mm. jewelry. And I'm sure jewelry is probably more lucrative than, yeah, but like some of them are very specialized and... It's cool. I'm glad yeah. it still exists. Yeah. But even it's moved. They yeah. got kind of pushed out of... Oh, their old location? Yeah. Mm, I didn't realize you know, that. the north end. It's not in the same place it used to be. Yeah. I guess the north end has changed Stupid. a lot. Yeah. yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. What do you think? Cool. You good? Yeah. How do you feel? 
I thought it was great. Thank you. It was great to get to know you. Yeah. It was really nice to talk to you. (laughs) Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. I appreciate it. Big shot!